Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal, joined by Mark DeRosa. Thank you for joining us for our inaugural episode. If you're joining us today, you're probably already familiar with the Sharp Angles Podcast hosted by Dan Pizzuta and Rich Rebar. This season, we're expanding the Sharp Angles Podcast Network, and we're going to be here with you every Thursday, and we hope that you have a fun and profitable season right along with Mark and I. Now, before we dive in and we start talking about the season, which I can't believe it's already only a week away, uh, I want to just start out by talking a little about, about what you can expect from us this season. Obviously, since we're a new podcast, we want to get started off you know, with some expectations for what we're going to bring to you. Now, obviously, we're a betting podcast, and we're going to come to you every week talking about the upcoming week, about different size, totals, futures, whatever we think has value in that particular week. But more specifically, we're going to give you a lot of prop bets this season. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First, speaking for myself, in addition to this podcast, I also write for Sharp Football Analysis. And every week, I'm going to have an article posted on the site about my favorite props for that week, specifically player props for the upcoming week ahead. Um, and so this podcast will sort of serve as another avenue for me to give you even more in-depth information on those that I really like. I'll give you some on the website. We'll touch on the same ones here. And if there's maybe some that didn't make the cut for that article, this could be an area where I give you even more in-depth information just to give you guys as much information as possible on a weekly basis. But even more importantly, the reason we'll be focusing on that is, as I said, I'm joined here by Mark DeRosa, who in recent years has made a name for himself in the betting community, specifically having success in these markets. So he's going to be our pro on this podcast, uh, giving you some of his best tips every week. And with that said, Mark, welcome. Uh, excited to have you here and be doing this show with you every week. Why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about your career in gambling and a little bit about some of the successes that you've had in recent years? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, be doing this with you this year. And um, uh, yeah, so as, as far as my career goes, um, I've been a professional gambler since I was 21 years old. Um, been doing that for 17 years now. I started with um, a lot of casino games uh, with uh, blackjack and video poker. Um, got into sports betting, uh, moved to Las Vegas in 2007 and lived there until uh, 2013. Um, from a sports betting perspective, I've done everything that there is to do in sports betting between being a simple runner, which is somebody who just places bets, to being uh, an originator, which is somebody who, uh, you know, has the original thought to place a bet. Um, you know, other things, uh, moving large amounts of money to, to bet games. So, um uh, these days, I, I specialize in smaller markets, uh, mainly futures and uh, proposition bets. And uh, I've kind of, I've kind of had a, a, a lucky streak the last few years where I've, you know, kind of made a name for myself by hitting on some big, uh, big futures and uh, uh, big narrative type bets. Um, I had Lamar Jackson back in 2019 to win the MVP. Uh, had a, a really big score on that. On that. Uh, last year, I had uh, Alex Smith to win Comeback Player of the Year, um, and I had uh, a lot of Buccaneers bets uh, for uh, Tampa last year uh, involving uh, Brady going to the Bucs and then the Bucs to win their division, which actually lost, but uh, to win the NFC and to ultimately win the Super Bowl. So, um, so yeah, it's been a nice little run the last couple of years, and uh, uh, hopefully it'll continue. Yeah, I hope so for our listeners as well. Hopefully they can profit off some of these great uh, ideas that you've come up with. Now, you mentioned that you do a lot in the, some of the smaller markets. And so, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with that and bet those as well. But I'm sure we have some 
that are maybe more casual and are just maybe interested in getting into that for the first time. And so I think it would be helpful if you could just tell us a little bit about what are some different strategies that you use? How is it different when you're going into those as opposed to just, you know, betting the line of a game in a given week? So when you're looking at like a uh, preseason futures markets, uh, especially something like the NFL, where you have, you know, a roster of 53 players, which is, you know, the largest roster of any major sports, um, you've got 22 starting players. Um, and then you've got one positional player who's, who's really uh, uh, worth to the team, a, a large percentage uh, and that being the quarterback, you know, you have a lot of variance in, in a given season. So it's really difficult to mathematically model uh, futures, whether it be for season wins um, and or you know divisional wins or conference, Super Bowl, et cetera. Um, it's very difficult to model that mathematically. At least it is for me because I don't have um, some kind of Ivy League uh, doctorate in mathematics or anything like that. Um, so I, I like to look at things from a, like a narrative perspective and think of think along the lines of, well, if this happens, then this will happen or you know, things like that. Uh, during the season, I take a more mathematical based approach um, where I'm basically kind of using the markets um, where uh, I might look at what the point spread and the total is for the game and kind of develop my bets from a top-down approach using those key indicators. So um, so preseason, it's more of um, an opinion or a qualitative look. And then uh, in season, it's more of a mathematics-based, uh, you know, week-to-week betting. Yeah, I think that's really helpful to hear those different strategies. I would say, you know, most people placing bets, you're doing a little bit of research. But I think that one area where a lot of bettors could improve is being a little bit more deliberate with what their approach is to different types of bets, as opposed to, you know, just doing some, you know, broad strokes research, really going even before you start your research, like you're saying, like, know what your approach is for this specific type of bet, because if you have a really specific uh, mindset for those in the long run, you, you know, you're not going to win all of them, but if you have a good approach to it in the long run, you're going to, you know, come out on top, hopefully. Um, so now with our introductions out of the way and whatnot, let's dive into the season. Um, you know, we're a week away, obviously. So at this point, we're going to just talk about um, different props and futures that bets that we like for this upcoming season. Next week's pause when we'll start to actually get into week one. And so to start out, we're actually going to start out by talking about some bets that Mark and I have already placed where the line has moved a little bit and you may or may not still want to place those. If we sway you with our argument, maybe you still want to get it at a different number. Um, But these are bets that, you know, the number has dropped a little bit or risen a little bit and we're not as confident in it, but we were, we really liked it at the time that we placed it. And the reason we wanted to touch on this, even though it might not be actionable for you right now, is I think it'll give you a little bit more insight into our process. Like what types of stuff are we coming up with throughout the offseason? How are we thinking about bets? So if we give you some of our most confident stuff, I think that's probably the best insight into how that we're, how we're thinking and how we're approaching this. So with that said, Mark, why don't you start us off? Um, talk about one of the your favorite bets that you've placed this season. Sure. So, um, yeah, one of my favorite bets this year involves the uh, New Orleans Saints and specifically uh, Jameis Winston. Um, I, uh, I bet him to win uh, comeback player of the year, um, to have the most passing yards, the most touch, passing touchdowns and uh, a little bit of MVP. Um, and uh, if you if you look at how the bookies kind of developed their numbers on that, you know, I believe that the bookies kind of assumed that Taysom Hill was going to be the starter. 
this year because in the offseason, he signed a uh, four-year, $140 million contract. Um, and the problem with that contract was it was essentially a farce. Uh, you know, it was all avoidable after this season. And it basically was a one-year, $10 million deal. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people thought that Jameis was going to be the backup this this year again and that Taysom Hill was going to be the starter. Um, so there was value in being able to kind of predict or, you know, that Jameis could potentially be the starter. Um, I think that Jameis has a great opportunity to succeed this year, uh, mainly because of his overall talent. He's, you know, a former number one overall pick. Um, he's still in his prime. He had, I, I don't want to call Bruce Arians a bad coach, but I do believe that um, Bruce Arians is going to throw you to the wolves and, or, you know, throw you in the water. And if you, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And uh, I think Jameis obviously sank in Tampa he had that terrible year where he threw 30 interceptions. Um, and I just don't really think he was a good fit for Bruce Arian's scheme. Um, I think Deshaun Payton's a different coach. He's shown the ability to adapt to whoever his quarterback is, whether it be Drew Brees in the short passing game or Teddy Bridgewater with their uh, really conservative passing game or Taysom Hill, where you have a, a quarterback who all of a sudden becomes a, a great running uh, threat. So you know, Sean Payton's shown the ability to be, you know, flexible and creative. And um, so I think that he's going to create a system that Jameis is going to thrive in. Um, and there's been a lot of questions about Jameis and his interceptions and uh, all of that. You know, again, I think that Sean Payton will um, have a shorter passing game, shorter than what Jameis had in Tampa. And generally, the shorter that the ball is thrown, the less likely it is to be intercepted. So, I don't think that the interceptions are going to be an issue this year. Um, I think that there's a, a possibility that Jameis actually brings an element that the Saints have not had in probably four or five seasons where they're actually, you know, able to go play action and, and throw the ball deep and have a quarterback who's capable of pushing the ball down the field or just to have the threat of that to open up things underneath. So, um, so yeah, I bet um, my favorite bet was Jameis to win the Comeback Player of the Year award. Um, I bet that I started at 33 to one and I stopped betting it at 20 to one odds. Um, that market has moved down to like 10 to one. I even saw some places at like five to one today when I was looking. So um, I would still, I still feel like there might be a little bit of value at 10 to one. Um, obviously if you can find anything greater than that, I would probably bet it. Um, I bet uh, Jameis to throw the most passing touchdowns at 200 to one odds. And I bet that all the way down to 60 and last I heard that that was kind of in the 30 to 40 to 50 range. Um, I don't feel great about it there. Um, and the same story with the passing yards, it was 200 to one. Uh, I bet it all the way down to 60. And uh, as far as MVP goes, I, I started at 101 odds and I bet down to 66 to one. And uh, I believe that there's still like 50 to ones out there and they might have a little bit of value. I'm a little bit concerned about, Taysom Hill being in the backfield and maybe vulturing a few touchdown passes or, you know, running, being the, being the goal line quarterback and running a few in. So I'm not as bullish on the MVP bets, but uh, the comeback player of the year bet I really liked. Yeah. I think you bring up some really good points there. I didn't place any of those bets, but in best ball leagues that I was playing this year, I went very hard on Winston. He was going in the final round a lot going undrafted and some even where I didn't take him. 
Um, and so I loaded up on that before he was named the starter. And then I backed off once he was named the starter, because obviously he rose up a little bit. But for all those same reasons, I thought you know he had a great chance to win that job and potentially put up even at least similar, if not better numbers than Breeze, because as you mentioned, uh, he'll probably throw downfield less than he did in Tampa. But for that reason, it might actually be a better deep passing game, or at least a safer deep passing game when they're doing it less often. All right, moving on to one of the bets that I placed early this offseason that I like um, that has since dropped a little bit, and that's the Jonathan Taylor rushing yards under. I was able to get it when it was at 1275. I placed that about a week before the Carson Wentz injury. Since that time, it's dropped down to 1200, which if I hadn't already bet it, I might still do it at 1200. I think, you know, as I'll lay out some reasons, I think you can make an argument for that. Certainly, it's less enticing. But as I'll get into it, Wentz may not actually help him in the run game. So that, that's why I think you may still like that number. So it's something to consider uh, if you like some of these numbers that I'm about to give you. Now, the first thing I have to acknowledge is that last year, Taylor averaged 77.9 yards per game. And that is going to allow him to hit the over if he hits that. That said, in week 17 last year, he played the Jacksonville Jaguars who were tanking, had every reason to be checked out and to want to lose that game. And he ran for 253 yards in that contest. If we just remove that game from his line last year, he was only averaging 65 yards per game. That's not enough to hit the over on either of those numbers. So the much bigger sample size against a more realistic level of competition to what we expect him to see on a weekly basis this year, he wasn't playing at a high level consistently. So now look, he could have another monster game. He's talented. I'm not, I'm not making this argument based on the fact that I don't think Taylor is good enough to put up those kinds of numbers. I just think that in this offense, the situations that he's going to be put in, he's not going to be able to do that. And, you know, you can never bet on a 250 yard game just because it's a possibility. You should never assume that that's going to happen. So I'm going to assume that he is the player we saw for, for 15 games last year and that that week 17 game was an extreme outlier based on the opponent. Now, the bigger part of this for me was specific to the Carson Wentz edition and looking at what he was last year. Now, obviously, sometimes quarterbacks can be different in different situations. Maybe Frank Wright has, you know, the magic potion to turn him back into what he was. But looking at Wentz's 12 starts last year in Philadelphia, if we just split that into two portions of his season, first six games, last six games. At the beginning of the season, it was obvious that defenses were treating Carson Wentz like the high caliber quarterback that he briefly showed us. And they did that by an Eagles running back rush attempts. 40% of the time, there were seven or more defenders in the box. That's a great number for your running game. In the second half of Wentz's season, that number rose to 58%. Basically, defenses were saying, all right, Carson, beat us. We dare you. They were just loading up to stop the run. And now you might be wondering, was there some sort of shift in the Eagles offense? Like, did they change their personnel packages that would force the defense to make that change, regardless of what they thought of Carson Wentz? Interestingly enough, they shifted in a direction that should have lowered the men in the box. Their use of 11 personnel in the run game was at 50% and Wentz's first six starts, it rose to 70%. So they increased 11 personnel, which should lighten boxes. Defenses responded by increasing 
the number of men they were placing in the boxes, just showing a complete lack of respect for Wentz. They, they just were saying, all right, beat us. We dare you. You're not going to do it. And he didn't do it. So I'm betting that Carson Wentz, maybe he's not as bad as last year. I'm also betting that he's not as good as he was at his peak a couple of years ago. So even when Wentz is healthy and back on the field, I don't think he's going to help Taylor that much because at a minimum, defenses are going to start the season betting on Carson Wentz being bad because that's what we saw him last. So they're going to be stacking the box and they're going to be saying, look, Taylor is your biggest threat. We're going to stop him. Carson, it's up to you to prove that you can beat us. And even if he does, we're probably going to have a few games in there where Taylor is stuffed because the defense is loading up to stop him. And, you know, maybe Wentz can play them out of that. But if he doesn't, I think it's going to be just a really rough year for Taylor. So I loved him at the 1275 I got. I still kind of like it at the 1200. If you want to jump on that number, if you shop around, maybe you can even get a little bit higher than that. I think that's something that, you know, you could possibly still consider at this point. So there you have it. Those are two that we uh, liked early on. If I could chime in on your I love that bet. I bet it myself probably the same week that you did. Um, I love that bet. I think that uh, the season has a really good chance to unravel really fast for Indianapolis. They have the hardest opening schedule in the league. Um, I think there's a a decent chance of, uh, you know, a two and four, one and five, oh, and six record after six games. And uh, I believe that their their front office and management is smart enough to uh, realize when the season's lost and maybe, um, you know, maybe bench Jonathan Taylor later in the season if he happens to have a, a strained calf or something like that, a minor injury. You know, they may just sit him uh, if the season's lost. So um, and yeah, they're, they're going to be facing a lot more negative game scripts and all that. Um, their win total went from ten and a half to like nine point two five. So, yeah, I'm a. I'm a big believer in that bet. Yeah, all good points for why we should be down. Uh, and if you were listening to our Twitter spaces the other night, you know that uh, most of us at Sharp Football Analysis are down on the Colts this year, or at least down on the numbers that were available for the Colts a little bit earlier in the summer. As Mark mentioned, a lot of those are dropping across the board as expectations have probably reached a more realistic level as we come up on week one. Um, but now let's move on to some bets that we like that are still on the board that you can you know, go and bet yourself right now. That's that we may have already bet or are planning to that. Uh, hopefully you can take advantage of our advice on these few. So Mark, why don't you leave us off? All right. So uh, I'm going to talk about Clyde Edwards Hilaire for the chiefs. Uh, I think he could be in line for a really big season this year. Um, I bet him to have the most rushing yards at 55 to one uh, to score the most rushing touchdowns at 40 to one and to win the offensive player of the year award at 66 to one. And pretty much those numbers are kind of still there um, or very similar. So um, uh, if you want to tag along with me, I'll give you my uh, recommendation of why I'm doing that or why I bet that. Um, so if you if you look back towards last year, uh, if you play fantasy football, you you know that uh, Claude Edwards Hilaire was like the best, uh, you know, the, the biggest sleeper. Everybody was picking him. He was the first round pick in August uh, once Damian Williams opted out. Um, you know, everybody thought he was going to have this great rookie season. Everybody was betting him to win the uh, offensive rookie of the year award. And, um, you know, it just didn't really pan out for him last year. Um, week one, they played Houston. He actually had a really good game. I think he ran for 120 something yards that game. Um, and he was definitely the featured back. Uh, he did get like eight or 10 goal line carries and couldn't convert a single one of them. And, um, 
after that game, I think that they kind of faded him out around the goal line. Um, I think they kind of faded out the, the running back position at the goal line entirely. Well, not entirely, but um, to a large extent. And they focused on uh, either Mahomes running it in or, you know, throwing it to Kelsey or uh, even having Tyreek Hill running in. Um, So anyways, uh, for the rest of the season, uh, if you, if you go game by game and look, he, he was, had a pretty good workload uh, up until uh, they had blowouts against Denver and the Jets. And uh, in both those games, I mean, they just crushed the opponent. He only got a handful of carries and they took him out of the game because there was no reason for him to play. Uh, Then he played against Carolina and got injured and he missed the next three games. Uh, When they came back, when he came back, they were in the midst of, uh, you know, the stretch playoff uh, run. Um, And then they were in the playoffs. Um, I think that they uh, relied on uh, a timeshare between him and uh, Daryl Williams in the playoffs. Uh, So it was a disappointing rookie season. based on expectations. Uh, I believe if you were to wipe out the, you know, your, your recent memory of, you know, how his season went last year um, and just focus on what's there to like this year. um, There's a lot to like. Um, So the first thing is it's the, it's a second year in the system. Um, There's more familiarity in the offense. You know, we're coming off a season where there was very little to no training camp and preseason last year. And you've got a rookie player coming in for the first time. Um, his draft capital, he was a first round pick, uh, and he's a first round pick in an era where running backs are very rarely selected, uh, as first round picks. And if they are, it's usually by a donkey general manager. Uh, so, um, I feel like, um, the fact that, and, and Kansas city obviously has a great front office. So, um, the fact that a great organization, excuse me, a great organization, uh, was willing to, invest so much of their draft capital in this player makes me think that they have high expectations for him. Uh, One thing I noticed in the preseason, I was watching halftime in one of the games and I saw an interview with the general manager and he mentioned that they had high expectations for the running game this year uh, because they had an atrocious offensive line last year and they spent tons of money, uh, had several trades this year and, um, you know, they, they're really focusing more on their offensive line and being able to run the ball. Um, the other thing that I like about Kansas city is they're a high scoring team. They're a winning team. He's going to have positive game scripts, hopefully not too positive where they're all blowouts, but, um, and then the other issue, the other thing is if they become more run dependent on the goal line, he could be the beneficiary of that. Um, generally teams score about 63% of their offensive touchdowns through the air. Uh, last year, Kansas City had uh, 53 total offensive touchdowns and only 13 were on the ground. That's roughly 75%. Uh, so if any of that changes in any way, regresses more towards the mean, he's going to be the beneficiary of that. So, um, so yeah, most uh, most rushing touchdowns, most rushing yards, and offensive player of the year. Uh, I feel like the, uh, the rushing yards is probably the least likely to hit just because you've got guys like uh, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, uh, Nick Chubb, who – uh, have traditionally been those bell cow backs. Um, he may not, we may not see that from them this year because, you know, they've been doing it for several years. And I always say you're the best running back in the league until you're not. And, uh, usually guys like that kind of hit a wall at some point, as far as most rushing touchdowns, I think that's probably one of my favorite bets and, uh, offensive player of the year. Um, if a quarterback does not win that award, it usually goes to the most valuable fantasy player for the season. And uh, I think that at 66 to one or greater, I've seen better odds than that. He's a good bet. So 
Yeah, those all, all those points make a lot of sense to me. Um, I haven't placed any of those bets, but it kind of goes hand in hand with one I do have, which is the Patrick Mahomes under on his passing yards. If that's, you know, says nothing about my opinion of Patrick Mahomes. It's simply based on the fact that, you know, number one, I don't know that games are going to be competitive enough for him to need to throw the ball. He may sit at the end of the season like he's done, like he did last year for a game. Um, and also, like you mentioned, the offensive line issues that they had with all the turnover on the offensive line. Obviously, they're hoping that it's better, but I'm kind of wondering if going into the season, if maybe they try to run the ball a little bit more just to not put Mahomes in bad situations behind to potentially shake the offensive line as it's first coming together. So, you know, that certainly could mean more opportunities for Elaire, which would help you out on those bets that you mentioned. Uh, moving on to another running back uh prop that I really like. I've got the over on Javante Williams. Uh, that's at 775 rushing yards right now. And I don't have as many numbers to support this as I did with the last one I talked about with Jonathan Taylor. This is more of a storyline and sort of reading between the lines on the Broncos offseason. Um, you know, the, the general manager, George Payton, in his first year coming over from Minnesota, he got some criticism for passing on a quarterback in the draft which I think is fair, especially if Justin Fields, you know, turns into a star in Chicago, like a lot of us think he can. But I do like the fact that he seemed to have a very clear vision for what this football team was going to be. He loaded up on defense. He got a game manager quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater to cut down on a lot of the mistakes that Drew Locke is prone to. And it seems like he sees this as being a ball control, strong defense type of team. And if, I'm right about that. If that's the type of team that they're going to try to be winning low scoring games with a running game, uh, Williams is just a better fit for that than Melvin Gordon at this point in Gordon's career. Gordon is probably a little bit more explosive still. Uh, if you need a big play on the outside, you know, Gordon's still going to have a role there, but Williams is probably the better guy to just lean into and move the chain. So, you know, in any game where it's close or they have a lead in the second half, I think that, you know, the carries are going to be funneled more towards Williams just to use some numbers to support this. Uh, last year when Gordon was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, he was stuffed for zero or negative yards 49% of the time, the eighth highest rate in the league. So even though he is explosive, he's just not one of those running backs who you can really rely on to keep moving the ball forward, which a ball control offense wants those types of guys. Meanwhile, you know, it's tough to take college numbers and translate as the pros, but Williams had the third lowest rate in the nation on those. When he was touched at or behind the line of scrimmage, he got stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage only 30% of the time. So he really is that type of runner that you can feed the ball to, even in a crowded box, he's going to pick up a few yards for you pretty consistently. And the Broncos have a not great run blocking offensive line, but a respectable one. So I think that Williams is just the better fit there. I think that you know, assuming the Broncos are competitive this year, I don't have huge expectations for them, but I do think they're a team that can flirt with the playoffs at least, which means that, you know, hopefully in about at least half the games, Williams is a factor in those close games late in the second half where he's going to be the better option for this offense. So, uh, you know, let's, we've got two running backs out of the way. Mark, what else do you have for us? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I agree with your analysis there. I think that they, um, when the bookmakers set the line on that prop, they were implying that it was going to be a 50, 50 split between Melvin Gordon. And I actually did the opposite of that. And I bet Melvin Gordon under. Um, so I'm basically kind of on the same bet as you, just in a different way. 
Um, and I also bet uh, Javante Williams to be the offensive rookie of the year at like 35 to one odds. So um, let's see. What else do I like? Um, talk about the Seahawks a little bit. Um, they had an interesting offseason. They had an interesting end to their season last year. Uh, I, I think if we talk about last year, if we go back to last year, we look at the first six weeks or five weeks, uh, they started five and Oh, uh, Russ was the favorite to win MVP, uh, for the first time ever, Pete Carroll was letting Russ cook. Um, and then the wheels kind of fell off. Um, you know, he had a, a game against Arizona that they lost in overtime that he threw three interceptions and had 50 pass attempts. Uh, they lost two of their next three games. And then all of a sudden Russ wasn't allowed to cook anymore. Um, they kind of knocked the passing game down to about 30 attempts per game and the defense carried them to the playoffs. Uh, they had that kind of embarrassing early exit in the playoffs to the Rams in the offseason. Uh, Russell Wilson goes to the Super Bowl and he's jealous of Tom Brady and says he's never going to win a Super Bowl in Seattle um, with the way things are. And, uh, and he basically said that he wanted a trade. So, um, you know, we had the trade rumors and um, they fired the offensive coordinator. They brought in a new guy, uh, Shane Waldron from the Rams. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about tempo and training camp. Uh, they did not have a first round pick this year. Their first pick was a wide receiver, uh, Dwayne Estridge. Um, and they also brought in uh, a capable tight end and Gerald Everett. Uh, the guys they had last year was like uh, 35-year-old Greg Olson and uh, a couple other scrubs. Uh, Everett's a respectable tight end. Uh, and they already had two of the best wide receivers in the league with uh, Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf. So um, I think that Pete Carroll is, at this point in his career, he's kind of running on fumes from their Super Bowl win. He's kind of running out of credibility. I think he's on the hot seat to change uh, or resign. And uh, I have a feeling that, you know, especially hearing the reports of the up-tempo offense from the new offensive coordinator, I feel like uh, there's a chance that they're going to let Russ cook again, which is really what they should do. They should, to maximize their best player's strengths, they should let him throw the ball and get out to a, a good lead and then, you know, let the uh, running game pound the other team into submission in the second half. Um so I bet um, I bet a little bit of Russell Wilson MVP at 20 to one. I wasn't in love with it. It's not a huge value play. I feel like it should be maybe 14 or 15 to one. Um, I kind of see it as a positive expected value hedge on some of my other MVP bets. Um, I think the narrative is there for Pete Carroll to win coach of the year. I bet that at 40 to one. Uh, I feel like that could happen if you see this shift in philosophy and he adapts and uh, the team has a really good season. Uh, but the other thing that I bet was uh, Russell Wilson to have the most pass yards. Uh, I bet that at 44 to one and 37 to one um, that was up in fa at FanDuel. And I, I think those numbers, I think the 37 to one might still be there. So, um, but yeah, uh, the other thing is they don't have a lot of a very good defense. So you may see Russ in the, a lot of games that you have a, a track meet where it just goes back and forth uh, for the whole second half. So, uh, so yeah, that's my Seahawks take for the season. Yeah, all really good points there. And I think, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, as we were talking about different strategies, I think that's a really good example of what you mentioned sometimes at the beginning of the season, just leaning into certain storylines. And that's very much a storyline driven prop. And you certainly laid out a scenario where all that stuff could certainly happen. Uh, and you could end up hitting on 
each one of those if you hit on that storyline. So that's like, a, it's a really good example of how if you just pick a storyline and figure out all the different dominoes that could follow, you could end up being very profitable just off really one idea and then just finding a lot of different bets that fit within the framework of that idea that you had. Um, and so I'll move on to my next one. Uh, I'm going to go to Chicago and talk about Darnell Mooney. Uh, this one, his number right now, you can get, I'm betting the over on 700 receiving yards. And if you look at last year, take his numbers from last year, average it out over a 17 game season, since obviously we're adding a game this year, he's on, he would have been on pace for 670 yards. So basically what the odds makers are saying is he's going to be the same player in the same offense and put up basically the same numbers, you know, a 30 yard increase. That's, you know, a reception or two. Um, and that seems difficult for me to believe, especially when you factor in last season, although he did get good playing time throughout the year, he was only a starter in the second half of the year. He started in week eight. And when you look at his numbers at the end of the season, from week eight on, his targets jumped from 5.3 per game to 6.8 per game. His yardage jumped from 33 per game to 43 per game. And if you so if we just take those numbers from the second half of the season, he hits the over on that pretty easily. And that was with Mitchell Trubisky, who's gone, fortunately. Um, which brings me to the, the second point about why I think this number is a little bit low. I think there's an assumption that Andy Dalton sucks and he just doesn't. He's not exciting. Like I I'm completely hoping Justin Fields gets to play as much as possible this year. He's going to be the more exciting quarterback. He's a rookie. He might have some bad games where he costs the Bears some games because that happens with rookie quarterbacks, but it's obvious he has a better ceiling. Dalton does not have that. You know, Dalton does not have a Super Bowl ceiling. If Fields, you know, is great out of the gate, maybe, you know, maybe he does. That is a long shot possibility that just with Dalton, the possibility is zero. But that, again, that doesn't mean Dalton sucks. So I'll give you some numbers comparing uh, Trubisky and Dalton last year. And also I'll throw in Fields numbers from college, even though it's, you know, it's tough to project numbers uh, from the college level to the pros, especially, you know, when you're playing on a team like Fields was at Ohio State going up against much weaker competition. But I'm going to specifically look at uh, downfield pass attempts because that was uh, 44% of Mooney's targets last year came 10 or more yards downfield. However, only 45% of those downfield targets were catchable, which was the second lowest rated league. And, you know, maybe that part of that is Mooney's fault. Receivers can certainly affect that number, but it's mostly quarterback driven. You're either accurate or you're not, and Trubisky's not. Uh, so if we look at throws 10 to 19 yards downfield, Trubisky was throwing at a 71% catchable ball rate last year. Andy Dalton, although he's not spectacular, was 79%. And Fields in college, so take it with a grain of salt, was at 89%. So even if Dalton plays, you know, half the season, that he's, you know, Mooney on those downfield throws is getting a much more catchable ball at a better rate. And if we look at the deep ball, 20 or more yards downfield, Trubisky was a pathetic 36% catchable pass rate. Dalton was 50%. That's decent. You know, Dalton is not a terrible quarterback. He's going to give Mooney catchable balls that Trubisky was not getting him. And then, you know, Fields was a ridiculous 74% rate. That's completely unsustainable. But even if Fields plays, you know, I fully expect him to be delivering catchable balls at a much better rate than Trubisky because that's definitely one of the traits that, you know, scouts have talked about really liking in his game. So he's, he's, that's going to be 
an area where he is at least better than Trubisky, even if he's not great right out of the gates. So just looking at the type of receiver Mooney is, you know, I think that's an area where he's going to excel this season. Did, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Yeah. So I definitely think that that bet has got a, a good possibility of winning. Um, Trubisky last year and just traditionally, but especially last year was terrible on the deep ball. You know, almost every week I was betting him uh, longest completion under 35 and a half yards and it was like printing money. So um if there's any improvement whatsoever, you know, you could have a situation where he catches, where Mooney catches, uh, you know, a 40, 50, 60, 70 yarder, and you're five to 10% of, you know, on the way to accomplishing your over. So um, I don't think he had that last year at all. So, uh, so yeah, I can definitely see that possibly happening. Yeah, absolutely. Especially once Fields gets in there, and we know he will at some point. The possibility for him having, you know, a monster game or two to push you on the over pretty easily. You know, he could easily just in a given week have 150 yards on, you know, a couple of long passes given his role in that offense. It certainly sounds realistic. And you get one, even just one of those games, the odds of you hitting the over on a relatively low number like that skyrocket. So it sounds like, it looks like we've got about time to hit one more. If you want to hit us with one more prop that you really like, Mark, go ahead. Sure. So I'll, I'll talk about um, the Dolphins and uh, Tua. I, um, I had some bets on Tua this offseason. Uh, I bet him to win MVP, uh, 60 to 1 to 81. Uh, most passing yards at 100 to 1. Uh, most passing touchdowns at 50 to 1. And most interceptions at 40 to 1. Um, so I'll get into that. Um, I think that I think Warren touched on this uh, the other night when we had the show. He talked about the similarities between Tua's upcoming season and Lamar Jackson's MVP season, and I don't think he was implying that Tua is going to run for a thousand yards or score, you know, eight touchdowns or however many it was on the ground that Lamar had that year. But I do think that he sees the um, the ability for Tua to make a large leap, and uh, I I agree with him one hundred percent. Um, when you look at Lamar Jackson, he came into an offense that wasn't uh, wasn't catered towards him. It was built for Joe Flacco. Um, he was put into it on the fly and was fairly successful, but they didn't ask him to do much. He was having like 20 pass attempts a game that year. Um, they had the awful first round uh, playoff exit to the uh, Chargers. Um, the, uh, the next year, they brought in uh, Greg Roman for their offensive coordinator and they pretty much went all in on Lamar Jackson. And that year I had bet him to win MVP because I, I saw that and I said, man, if this guy throws the ball at all, coupled with his running ability, um, he's going to be in the conversation. So uh, you look at Tua this year, you know, everybody thinks the guy is a turd sandwich because, you know, he, he came into the exact same situation last year where you had, he was thrown into an offense that was built for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and the offensive coordinator was a guy who was, you know, an older guy brought out of retirement to be uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's offensive coordinator. Um, they didn't have any weapons at that point. And a couple of guys had been injured. Um, so his weapons were really diminished. They had to scale the playbook way down and uh, there was almost no downfield passing whatsoever. Um, so everybody kind of thinks that the dolphins whiffed on that draft pick. Um, but you got to remember, you know, the year before the, the saying was, you know, we're going to tank for Tua. Uh, everybody wants to tank for Tua. Um, and because of the injury, that's another thing that kind of plays into this is, you know, he really may not have been hundred percent healthy last year. So he's had an uh, entire off season to, uh, get healthy, 
um, work with an offensive coordinator. Actually, I think they have two uh, that are dedicated to working to his strengths. And uh, I really like what they did and didn't do in the off season. Um, they did not draft a quarterback, even though there were several first round talents available um, at, a, at one point, they had the number three overall pick. They eventually traded it, um, but they didn't pursue anybody in the draft, at least not that we know of. Um, they brought in Will, Ful- Will Fuller as a free agent, um, drafted Jalen Waddle. Um, and the first news that I heard out of training camp this year was that Tua threw five interceptions in one practice in the rain. And uh, when you read the article, um, they were all on deep balls. And it would appear, you know, most people would say, oh, my gosh, the guy threw five interceptions is going to be terrible. Look how terrible he is. Um, You know, it's practice. Uh, The guys have to learn. Uh, I like the fact that they were throwing deep. It kind of made kind of perked my ears up a little bit to hear that. So um, then you look at the Dolphins running game. They have nothing at running back. They have a bunch of guys drafted in the fourth round or sixth round, seventh round. Um, They're not planning to be a dominant ground game. They are going to be a uh, dominant passing team uh, if Tua works out. Uh, The last advantage that I think that Tua has is he's left-handed. He's the only left-handed quarterback in the league. Excuse me. And uh, the league has not seen a starting left quarterback in I don't know how long. Uh, So I think that that could be uh, an advantage just because there's a lot of, you know, muscle memory or, or, you know, the way your body moves as you're trying to cover receivers you know, I just think that it's going to be interesting, especially the first time. I think that the first time that, that Tua plays opponents, he's going to have a huge advantage. So, um, and he's got a great coach. Uh, I think that Brian Flores is uh, definitely a top five coach in this league uh, from every aspect of coaching, whether it be in game or being the rah rah cheerleader to, uh, you know, game management and uh, preparation. I think he's a great coach. So, uh, so yeah. Um, most passing yards, most passing touchdowns, most pass interceptions and MVP. You know, I'm trying to bet the upside here and, um, you know, maybe it'll pan out. Yeah, I'm actually with you on that one. It wasn't one of my most confident bets, so I didn't bring it up today, but I did write an article a couple of weeks ago on why you should bet the over on Tua's passing yards this season and pretty much hitting on all the same things with a big, big part of it being the change in offensive coordinator and not having Fitzpatrick there. I think that was a huge detriment to him last year, having to try to run Ryan Fitzpatrick's offense. Uh, it was a pretty good offense when Fitzpatrick was out there, but you can't just swap in any quarterback and ask him to run a different quarterback's offense. It just didn't work for Tua. So, yeah, I definitely think the possibility is there for him to take a huge leap forward for all the reasons you mentioned. It's interesting that we had so much agreement today. It sounds like we were pretty much on the same page, even though we didn't plan that out ahead of time. Hopefully in some future pods, we have some disagreements because I think that those are uh, really helpful conversations to people here too, to hear two sides of an argument so that uh, listeners can make their own decisions based on, you know, hearing the numbers uh, on both sides of it. Um, so that's all we have time for today. Thanks again, Mark, for joining me for this. I think we're going to have a really fun season. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Remember, you can find us uh, here at Sharp uh, Sharp Angles Betting Podcast, every Thursday we'll be uh, talking props we like for the upcoming week, maybe even some sides and totals. Uh, and we'll try to get a little bit of Thursday night football talk in every week too, since we'll be uh, posting this just a few hours before game time. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.